Well, as you return to your seats, I would invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 8. We're going to be in uh, verses 1 through 6 this morning as we come to Hebrews uh, chapter 8. Now, as reflecting upon our passage for this morning, Psalm 42 continued to come to my mind. We're very familiar with this psalm. We've heard it before, whether you know or not the actual uh, reference of Psalm 42. Psalm 42, verse 1, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. As we have studied and had a discussion on the priesthood of Christ over the past several weeks, we are continually brought back to the reality that we are to draw near to God, we are to come into the presence of God, we are to satisfy our thirst for God through the priesthood of Jesus Christ. In chapter 7, verse 19 and verse 25, we are told that we draw near to God through the ministry of Jesus Christ. Earlier in Hebrews, we are told that Christ is the forerunner and He has gone behind the curtain and has drawn us into the very presence of God, into the Holy of Holies through His priesthood. Now, as we continue to read Psalm 42, we see that the psalmist has what may be a very different aspect in his mind as to what it means to come into the presence of the living God. Listen to what he says. He says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Notwithstanding the reality that God is omnipresent, that is to say God is present at all times and in all places, the psalmist's desire is to go to a specific place place to meet with the living God. Those who taunt him say, where is your God? And while his answer might seem somewhat strange to us, it is clear where his God is. His God is in the house of God. His God is in the temple of God. And The longing of the psalmist is that he would be able to draw near to God, to drink from the fountain of God's living water as he corporately worships God in the place that God is, which is the temple. God's presence is experienced in a specific place, according to Psalm 42. Now, we are a people with a conflicted relationship with the idea of place. More than any other generation, we have the potential to separate ourselves from the limitations of place through digital technologies. The aim of Meta, the parent company of Facebook, is to overcome these limitations. The CEO, Mark Zuckerberg, said that the vision of his company is to use digital technology to bring people together in virtual places. 
And this is achieved to a certain extent when we share photos and videos on social media platforms. And the next area to be incorporated into this endeavor is virtual reality. To create digital places where people who are separated by hundreds or thousands of miles can be together. Our dive into the digitalization of place was accelerated, as we all experienced over the last several years, because of the restraints of COVID. People began to meet more regularly over Zoom. Employees were able to work from home. School went to online formats, and churches began to offer virtual live stream options. We were able to meet a need through this technology. A family member of mine just recently was telling me that her workplace posted a job and that they only had a handful of people apply for the job, maybe six people. They were looking nationally. And so they went back and they revised some of it and they added that it could be a remote position. And as soon as they added that phrase, remote position, they began to get hundreds of applications from across the nation because people are looking more and more to be present virtually. On the other hand, all of this digitalization of place has highlighted our need for real in-person contact. While there are benefits to the technology, there are also major drawbacks, not the least being an unavoidable separation between people. As much as we might want to work remotely, studies are showing over and over again that those who do work remotely have higher levels of loneliness and depression, that there's a loss of collaboration with other people in the office. And while there is a utilitarian use for such technology, there is a world of difference between speaking to somebody face-to-face and speaking to a digital representation of a face. Between flesh and blood and lights and beeps, you can look at a picture of the Grand Canyon or watch an IMAX movie about the Grand Canyon or enter a virtual reality space that represents the Grand Canyon, but there is nothing that we can do to replace the experience of standing on the edge of this vast wonder of creation, knowing that we are not only looking at something that is sublime, but that we are in the very presence of the glory of God's creation. And we're stuck between these two realities. Virtual reality is helpful, but it is impotent. Social media connects us with friends and family, but we still remain alone. We don't have to be present to interact, but over time we come to realize that our interactions are mediated and separated. In a world of digital media, place has become even more important. In our passage for this morning, place is at the very center of the argument. And what the author to the Hebrews is arguing is that place matters. And what we will see is that we must trust in the person and the work of Jesus Christ because the place of His ministry is where we will find God's power, God's presence, and God's promise. So hear now the word of the Lord, Hebrews chapter 8, 
I'll read verses 1 through 6. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices, thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Let us pray. Father God, we come to you now at this time and we pray that you would guide us by your word and spirit so that in your light we may truly see light and in your truth that we might find freedom, and in your will discover your peace to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. We are all familiar with the concept that when we look at a map, there are little stars in each of the countries, and these stars represent what? The capital, right? The capital. All the other cities, you just get a little dot. But in each nation, there is a star that represents the capital of that territory. Every nation, state, country, or city needs to have a place where it is governed. A place where leadership gathers to deliberate, to vote, and to execute policy. And the first thing that we see in our text is that we are to trust in the person and the work of Jesus Christ as our high priest because his priestly ministry is in the place of God's power. Look at verse 1 of our text. It says, Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Now, chapter 8 is beginning a transition in the book of Hebrews. The author is summarizing what he has been explaining over the past three chapters, and he is moving forward with his argument. And he says, this is the point, right? He's summarizing. This is the point. This is what I am saying. This is what is important. We have such a high priest. Jesus is the high priest who is able to draw us into the very presence of God to save us to the uttermost. Jesus is the high priest who has offered the perfect sacrifice and who continues to make intercession for us. And we can trust that he is able to accomplish this ministry Because it is occurring in the place of God's power. 
Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is what theologians call the session of Christ. That he is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. This is the consistent testimony of Scripture. That the Son of God left heaven, was incarnate, was born, lived a perfect life, offered Himself as an atoning sacrifice upon the cross, and was buried. But on the third day, He rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and He sat down at the right hand of God. And that is where Jesus is currently. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. Jesus says of Himself, I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And the book of Hebrews begins in chapter 1. Saying, after making purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Where is Jesus? He is at the right hand of the Father. But what is being communicated by saying that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father? That he is seated on this throne? Well, the image of the right hand is the image of God's power to accomplish His purposes of salvation. It is an image of God's governing power over this world. Listen to just a small sample of verses speaking of God's right hand. In Exodus 15, we read, Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. Psalm 98 Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvelous things. His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation. Psalm 20. Now I know that the Lord saves His anointed. He will answer Him from His holy heaven with the saving might of His right hand. Why does the book of Hebrews refer to Jesus as being at the right hand of God five separate times? Because Jesus is in the place from which the power of salvation goes forth. He is sitting on the throne of heaven directing all things together to bring about the salvation of His people. The book of Acts makes an important connection between Christ's session at the right hand of the Father and the gift of the Spirit. For we read in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost, Peter saying, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. You see, this is why we must place our trust in the priesthood of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is in the place of power. He offered His life and rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven. He sat down at the right hand of God. And then He poured out His Holy Spirit upon His church to accomplish salvation. 
This is why we must place our full faith and trust in Christ. Because through his victory over a death, he has won for his church the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of rebirth, the power of holiness, the power of healing, the power of love, the power of self-control and of wisdom, the power of God unto salvation. For when the Word of God teaches us that Jesus is at the right hand of God, what it is telling us is that he is in the place from which the power of God goes forth. The next thing that we see in our text is that we must trust in Christ because he is in the place of God's presence. He is in the place of God's presence. Now this concept needs to be explained on multiple levels as we look at verses 2 through 5. The first is to address the question of God's presence. We understand from the Word of God that the Lord is present everywhere. Psalm 139, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? God is present everywhere. However, and this is important, He is not present everywhere in the same manner. We understand the omnipresence of God to mean that He is present in relation to His knowledge and his power. That is, nothing is hidden from his sight. His eye sees everywhere. And it also means in relation to his power that what he sees, he is able to act upon wherever it is occurring. But God's omnipresence does not mean that God is in the river or that he is in the trees. God is not present in rocks. He is not present in animals. Rather, God is present in that He sees all things, He upholds all things, and He is ever able to exercise His sovereign power over all things. Therefore, when Scripture speaks of God's presence in a particular place, What it means is that he is exercising his power or he is displaying his glory in a special or unique manner. In Psalm 42, the psalmist was longing to come before God in the midst of the congregation with praise and worship in the temple because it is in that place that God has chosen to manifest his presence in a special way. And we see this reflected in verses 2 and 5 of our text. There is a place where God makes His presence known, where God's power is manifested in a unique way, a place where God dwells with His people. Look at those verses, verse 2 and then down to verse 5. Verse 2 begins with the implied that Jesus is a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Then in verse 5, they, that is the Levitical priests, serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. You see, there's a contrast that is being made here between the true tent in which Jesus serves, and the shadow tent that Moses built and the Levites served. 
In the book of Exodus, the Lord gave Moses instructions on how to build this tent, this tabernacle. And the tabernacle was to be the place of God's dwelling among His people. It was the manifestation of His special presence to show that God dwelt in the midst of His people. Now what we see here is that God gave Moses specific instructions. This is how you are to build this special picture of my presence among the people. That it was based upon a pattern. They were a copy of the true heavenly temple though. They were a shadow. All the details were to be followed very closely. The materials, the furniture, the adornments. They were all meant to be reflective of a true heavenly throne room. And at the very heart of the tabernacle was the Ark of the Covenant in which God symbolically sat enthroned above the cherubim. And once a year, the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies to offer sacrifice and to symbolically draw people into the presence of God. But it was always a shadow. It was always a preparation. It wasn't false. God was present in a special manner as we see in Psalm 42. Nevertheless, it was a reflection of the true heavenly tabernacle presence of God. There is a heavenly throne. And it was not made by man, but it was made by the Lord Himself. And what the author to the Hebrews is saying is, this is where our high priest is now. He is serving in the heavenly tabernacle, established by the very hand of God. This is where the ministry of Jesus, of His priestly intercession occurs. Not in the shadow temple, but in the true temple. Not in a derivative, but in the original. Not in the mediated presence of God, but in the very presence of God. And this is why we must trust in Christ as our priest. As the one who would draw us into the presence of God. Because unlike the earthly priests who symbolically bring the people of God before the throne, Jesus Christ actually brings His people into the presence of God. A good way of thinking of this distinction might be between giving somebody an emoji hug and a real hug. An emoji hug lets a person know that you are texting, that you care for them, and that you wish them well. It is pointing to the reality of a hug, but it doesn't have any power. People need real physical contact. Children cannot be cuddled digitally. People need a real shoulder to cry on. And God's people need to be brought into the very real presence of God. Because this is what we were created to experience. This is where we were created to live. We were made, each and every one of us, to live in the very presence of God. God experiencing His power and His love. 
And therefore, we must trust in Jesus Christ as our priest because it is he alone who is able to take you, who was made to be in the presence of God, to take you and to draw you into not just a symbolic relationship with God, but a true and real relationship with the Father. You see, place matters. Presence is not optional. We need a priest who has the power of God. We need a priest who is in the presence of God. And the final thing I want us to see in our text is that we must trust in Christ because we need a priest who is in the place of God's covenant promise. Look at verse 6. There we read, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. As I mentioned earlier, verses 1 through 6 serve as a transition from one section in Hebrews to the next. And the author is summarizing the superior nature of Christ's priesthood, but he's moving towards the superior nature of the covenant that is made in Christ. The last several chapters have dealt with an explanation of Psalm 110, going into the nuances of what that psalm teaches us about the prophesied future ministry of the priesthood of Christ. But now we enter an explanation of another Old Testament text, Jeremiah 31, and the promise of the new covenant. You can see, if you look at your Bible, starting in verse 8, there is a long quotation that is in your Bible. This is a quotation of Jeremiah chapter 31. And the next couple of chapters will now be dealing with this new covenant promise that was made in Jeremiah 31. Sometimes, as we look at the work of Christ, we fail to see the central importance of place in the promise and the covenant. Even though we refer to the place of God's people as the promised land. In Genesis 15, we read of the covenant that God made with Abraham. He says concerning the land, and he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. God's covenant promise of the land was renewed and confirmed in the covenant that was made through Moses at Sinai. For there he promises, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. A covenant is an oath of God that establishes a relationship between himself and his people. And this covenant secures blessings for those who are faithful to the covenant, but it also threatens curses for those who are disobedient to the covenant. And central to these blessings and these curses is a place, is a land. The blessing of place was the blessing of God's life-giving presence. Peace, rest, flourishing. A land flowing with milk and honey. A land that would give life. However, the curse for disobedience 
was exile from the land. God's people would be expelled from the place of God's promise if they rebelled against his word. And this exile occurred throughout the word of God. First with Adam and Eve when they broke the covenant of life, they were exiled from the land of Eden, the land that they were created to live in because of their sin. They were exiled. This exile occurred when the people of God broke the covenant established at Sinai. By their disobedience, they were expelled from the place of God's power and the place of God's presence. But the promise of the new covenant is that God will bring his people back from exile, that he will bring them back into the blessing of his presence. And specifically, that he will bring his people into his presence through the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ, never to face the curse of exile again. In the book of Ezekiel, we read of this new covenant. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land and multiply them. And I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This is why the promise of the new covenant is described as being so far superior to that of the old. Because the old was a shadow and a type. Canaan was merely a shadow of the true promised land that God is bringing his people to through Jesus Christ. The temple was merely a shadow, a copy of the true heavenly throne room to which God is drawing us, his people, through Jesus Christ. But in the new covenant, we come into the blessed place of God's presence through Jesus Christ because He is the sanctuary that is set in our midst. He is Emmanuel, God with us. If you have seen Christ, you have seen the Father. And through the promise of the new covenant, we shall dwell in the presence of God for all eternity. For Revelation 21 speaks of the fulfillment of Ezekiel. And I saw the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. So where must we go to meet with God? If there is a place of his power, his presence, and his promise, how do we get there? Is there a temple? Is there a holy land to which we might make a pilgrimage? Is there a building? Is there a church edifice or a cathedral to which we can go where we will be assured that God is present there? Isaiah 66 says to us, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne. And the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? Earth cannot contain the presence of God, but heaven alone. There is no earthly temple that can contain the Lord. But what we learn in the Word of God this morning 
is that we have a high priest who has ascended to heaven and is currently in the true presence of God, the heavenly presence of God, and that all of those who are in Christ by the Spirit are now presently in the presence of God. The Apostle Paul tells us that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. For through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are joined to Him. You have been crucified with Christ. You have been buried. You've been raised. And you have ascended to the very throne room of God. Where do we meet with God? We meet with God and know His true presence in and through Jesus Christ alone. We must be engrafted into Christ. We must place our full faith and trust in Christ because it is only through Christ that we are brought to the place where we need to be in the very presence of God. And therefore, we must gather with the body of Christ, the church, Not because there is a certain location that is specifically blessed, but as we gather together, we are the body of Christ. And there are great promises where two or three are gathered together in the name of Christ. He is present there and we are drawn into the very throne room of God. Because place does matter. But the place where we must be is in Christ and in Christ alone. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we come to you now, and we would, with boldness, draw near to your throne of grace through Jesus Christ alone. Oh, as we are gathered here in this place, would you manifest your glory among us that we might know your saving power. We ask, Lord, if there are any who are gathered here that do not know your saving power, would you draw them into your very presence through faith in Jesus Christ? Would they repent of their sin and trust that the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ has covered them and that by your grace, You have drawn them eternally into your presence. We pray for each here who have been regenerated by your Spirit and know this life. Would you make us ever faithful to gather with the body of Christ that we might taste and see the blessedness of drawing near to you in and through Christ alone. It's in his name that we do pray. Amen.